I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Welcome to this podcast of The People's Pharmacy. You can find previous podcasts and more information on a range of health topics at peoplespharmacy.com. Summer can be very stressful for our skin. Sunburn, stings, heat rash, and poison ivy are just some of the challenges. This is The People's Pharmacy with Terry and Joe Graydon. Sunscreen can help prevent a sunburn, but are we expecting more from our sunscreen than it can deliver? What else should we be doing to protect our skin from ultraviolet radiation? Millions of people take medications that can make their skin more vulnerable to sun damage. What should you know about phototoxic reactions? Our lines are open for your calls and questions about summer skin problems, including bites, blisters, burns, and rashes. 888-472-3366. Coming up on The People's Pharmacy, solutions for summer skin problems. In the People's Pharmacy Health Headlines, COVID-19 has faded from the headlines, but it hasn't disappeared. Hospitalizations for this infection have risen 10% over the last few weeks. According to the CDC, COVID-19 indicators, including hospital admissions, emergency department visits, test positivity, and wastewater levels, are increasing nationally. Since December, these figures have been relatively low, but now they're beginning to climb. Cases are still far below where they were at this time last year, but experts warn that the fall and winter may see considerable increases in COVID activity. Olive oil used to be considered too high in saturated fat to be healthy. But several years ago, a study published in the New England Journal of Medicine recruited people at high risk for heart disease. Those who consumed four tablespoons daily of extra virgin olive oil were less likely to have heart attacks or strokes than people in the control group following a low-fat diet. Now, a new study suggests that including olive oil in the diet may reduce a person's risk of dying from dementia. The researchers track data from more than 90,000 Americans over 30 years. They report that people consuming at least half a tablespoon of olive oil a day reduce their likelihood of death from dementia by 28% compared to those who don't regularly use olive oil. Researchers in Chicago have announced a tantalizing finding. They found that mice engineered to develop a condition that mimics Alzheimer's disease can be protected with an over-the-counter supplement. Giving the mice beta-hydroxy-beta-methylbutyrate, also known as HMB, reduced brain plaques and increased neurotrophic proteins that protect neurons. It binds to a nuclear hormone receptor called peroxisome proliferator activated receptor, or PPAR-alpha. Oral HMB helped preserve maize performance in the mice. HMB is a popular supplement in bodybuilding circles because it helps increase muscle. Bodybuilders taking it have not reported serious side effects. As a result, the investigators suggest it might be useful in treating people with Alzheimer's dementia. To know whether it will work for this, we'll need to see a randomized controlled trial in humans. Head injuries, such as concussions, increase the risk for cognitive impairment later in life. 
Some scientists are concerned that using the head to hit a soccer ball at high speed might also cause brain injury that could go undetected at the time. Now, researchers have made an attempt to estimate the consequences of heading the ball. They recruited 459 retired professional soccer players. These men, average age of 64, completed questionnaires including specific details about their careers and how often they recalled heading the ball during a game or training session. In addition, they responded to cognitive assessment by telephone. The investigators found that those who headed the ball 6 to 15 times per game, on average, were more than twice as likely to have memory problems as those who headed less frequently. The most frequent headers, more than 15 times a match, were more than three times as likely to have signs of cognitive impairment. The researchers conclude the findings of this study suggest that repetitive heading during a professional soccer career is associated with an increased risk of cognitive impairment in later life. People with serious autoimmune conditions known as inflammatory bowel disease often take tumor necrosis factor blockers to control their Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis. Monoclonal antibodies such as Humira or Remicade have revolutionized the treatment of immune-mediated inflammatory diseases or IMIDs. A new study analyzed data from more than 100,000 patients in Denmark and France. Until now, doctors thought that using TNF blockers for one autoimmune condition would reduce the risk for others. To their surprise, the investigators found that patients taking these drugs were instead at 76% increased risk for developing other IMIDs, such as rheumatoid arthritis, psoriasis, and hydradenitis superativa. Patients should not stop taking drugs such as Umira, Remicade, or Symponi, but they may want to discuss this paradox with their clinicians. And that's the health news from the People's Pharmacy this week. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon. I'm a medical anthropologist. And I'm Joe Graydon. I'm a pharmacologist. Today... We're talking about what to do about summer skin problems. We have two expert dermatologists ready to answer your questions about protecting yourself from sunburn, bites, rashes, and all sorts of dermatological disasters. Dr. Warren Heyman is the emeritus head of the Division of Dermatology at Cooper Medical School of Rowan University after 35 years at the helm. He's professor of medicine and pediatrics at Cooper Medical School, clinical professor of dermatology at the Perelman School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania, and he serves as a director of the American Board of Dermatology. Dr. Heyman is the editor of Derm World Insights and Inquiries. He is standing by to answer your questions in his Haddonfield, New Jersey office. Welcome back to the People's Pharmacy, Dr. Heyman. Well, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. And here in the studio, we have Dr. Chris Adigan. She practices both general dermatology and cosmetic dermatology at the Dermatology and Laser Center of Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Dr. Adigan has an academic specialty in nail disorders. Welcome back to the People's Pharmacy, Dr. Chris Adigan. Thank you so much for having me. And our lines are open for your questions. The number is 919 919- 
972-362-3366. You can also send us email, radio at peoplespharmacy.com. Again, that number, it's a new one today, 919-962-3366. You know, every dermatologist that we have ever spoken to, and we've been doing this for almost 50 years, They warn us about the dangers of ultraviolet radiation. In other words, the sun is not our friend, at least not when it comes to our skin. We're told that sunscreens will protect us. But are we overestimating the power of such products? Dr. Adigan, can we slap on sunscreen and then spend all day at the beach from 9 o'clock till 5 o'clock just soaking up the rays. Well, as a dermatologist, that's almost sacrilegious. So (laughs) I would say no. Um, This is something that patients will tell me or complain about. They come in super tan and they're like, I was using my sunscreen. And I say the same thing, which is, well, the sunscreen can only do so much. And as long as you're getting tan, then you're sustaining UV damage. So a tan... It does protect us somewhat from a burn, right? That is your body's attempt to protect itself, but it is an indicator of DNA damage. All right. Dr. Heyman, what about your thoughts on sun protection, SPF factors? I think a lot of people assume now that if it says 50 or 75 or SPF 100, it's like they have an invisible shield that is going to protect them from any damage. That's a good point. I I tend to analogize this uh, with driving uh, and saying, I have an airbag. Well, are your tires inflated? Are you inebriated before you're behind the wheel? Um, There's a a lot to car safety and sunscreens, I analogize to an airbag. Uh, It's protection, but you need so much more. Uh, Try to avoid the midday sun. Wear proper clothing. Seek shade. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, Whoa, Stop right there. Proper clothing, what does that mean? Well, at the beach, proper is not very much. Well, uh, it depends. I mean, uh, you know, stay under an umbrella. Uh, uh, You know, wear a shirt. You don't, I'm not saying you can't take your shirt off and go swimming, but put it back on and make sure you're protected. Um, there are ultraviolet, uh, you know, even regular clothes have offer some UV protection. So cover up when you can. It's not going to be all the time, of course. Uh, as far as your question regarding sun protection factor, it's a laboratory number. Uh, but people really don't understand the number very well. Uh, it doesn't mean that if it's an SPF of 30, you could stay out for 30 minutes or 30 hours. Uh, and uh, we want to use an SPF of at least 30. This is a laboratory-based number, and that's looking at UVB radiation, the sunburn rays, to prevent rays, uh, damage from those rays. So um, we recommend a minimum of 30. Uh, Higher is better, but the advantage goes down a little bit the higher the number you get. So going from... look for at least a 30. So going from 50 to 100 is not going to get you twice as much protection. What's more important is reapplication. No matter uh, what the number is, they all tend to come off if you dip in the pool or go swimming. And um, 
you know, you want to reapply it if you're going to be outside for a while. We have a couple of hours or so. We have a call about sunscreen from Rick in Tampa, Florida. Rick, your question, please. Yes. Hello. Thanks for taking my question, my call. And my question is this. What are the effects of sunscreen, our sunblockers, on the conversion of sunlight into vitamin D in our bodies? As we know, vitamin D is a very important factor in a healthy immune system. You know, this is a really important question, Dr. Adigan, because I remember about 10 or 15 years ago, we were saying, well, if you're going to put on one of those SPF 30 factors that Dr. Heyman is talking about, you're not going to be making much, if any, vitamin D. We've changed our tune. What's the story, official story, from dermatology? Well, that it takes extremely little UV radiation to convert vitamin D to its active form in your body. Our primary source of vitamin D, of course, is in our diet, and then it gets converted by UV exposure to its active form in your body, and it takes an extremely low amount of that. When people are vitamin D deficient, the best way to reconstitute their vitamin D is not to increase their sun exposure, but to increase their intake of vitamin D. And just out of curiosity, Dr. Heyman, how much sun do you need to be able to get all the vitamin D that's necessary in your body? A few minutes of exposure. Uh, so it's, I agree with Dr. Adigan here. Uh, it's, if you, if you feel the need for it, it can be easily supplemented. The, uh, the downside of not using a sunscreen uh, far exceeds the vitamin D effect. It can be easily supplemented. It only takes a few minutes. In reality, there are probably very few people, maybe myself included, who really use sunscreen properly or use it all day long. So the few minutes of exposure of being outside is more than adequate uh, for getting the sun to do what it needs to do. So, so there you stop you at all from using sunscreen. There you have it, Rick. You uh, you you don't necessarily need to spend a lot of time in the sun. A few minutes might do the job, and then of course there are vitamin D three supplements. Let's not forget them. Now we have a question from Laura. In Merle's Inlet, South Carolina, Laura, what would you like to know? Oh, yes. Um, I have done a, some research in the uh, ingredients in sunscreen, and some of them are uh, quite dangerous, I've been told, and that some of these ingredients are actually hormone disruptors. So I don't use sunscreen at all. I cover up and use umbrellas. Uh, well, being outdoors, I know that umbrellas are used in most parts of the world except in the U.S., but but I am, um, yeah, I'm co- very concerned about the ingredients okay. in sunscreen. Laura, let's let our uh, dermatologists respond to that question. Starting with you, Dr. Adigan, what's the story on ingredients? They've been very controversial. Yes, I mean, I understand Laura's concerns, and there were studies Um, with adults applying very large amounts of these chemical-type sunscreens all over their bodies for extended periods of time. And that's when that hormone disruption was first 
detected was with, with that particular trial. I think it's important to understand that not all of these agents are capable of doing that. And it was only in people that were using very large amounts to their entire body surface area for weeks and weeks at a time. Um, but there are agents that are completely chemical free that are just ground up rocks. And those are both, those are considered broad spectrum because they blo- block both the UVA and UVB spectrum. And those are zinc and titanium dioxide. And those are reflectors. So they don't need to be absorbed and converted to its active agent to be effective. And they're not absorbed systemically and extremely safe. Well, I remember when those studies came out, I think that one of them was published in JAMA. And it was like, you mean the FDA never bothered to do these tests before? Like we are actually absorbing these chemicals into our skin, into our bodies, and they're circulating. It was like, oh, yeah, well, apparently the FDA never did require those studies. And now we have second thoughts about some of those ingredients. But you mentioned zinc. And I remember when I was a kid, the lifeguards always had white noses. Now, let's face it. When we were kids... There actually weren't sunscreens aside from the white nose stuff. The, today's zinc oxide. Today's zinc is different from those days. We have just about a minute before the break. What's the story on these new products? Um, well, they are able to make the zinc particles smaller, so they're uh, less opaque. But I'll be honest, they're still a little bit opaque. Um, and you can tell by applying the sunscreen to skin with more pigment, they can have a little bit of a grayish look. But that also helps you know, okay, this really does have zinc in it, and it is really reflecting light right back at you. Um, but yes, when they are able to make the zinc particle much smaller, it is a bit more cosmetically elegant and a little bit less toothpaste-like. We are talking about your skin today on The People's Pharmacy, especially with regard to summertime. What is the sun doing? What should you do to protect yourself? What about bug bites, poison ivy, all those other conditions? We'll also find out if there are medications that can increase your risk of a sunburn. Our lines are open, 919-962-3366. We'll also find out if you can be allergic to sunshine. If our lines are full, you can send us an email. We're at radio at peoplespharmacy.com. That number again, Terry? The number is 919-962-3366. You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. This podcast is made possible in part by Cocovia, maker of the most proven and concentrated flavanol extract in the market today, CocoPro, cocoa extract. It's officially summer, and that means you have more time to spend outdoors, being active, and creating lifelong memories. Whether you're looking to support your heart health or your brain health this summer, you can achieve your goals with Cocovia. All Cocovia supplements contain the number one proven source of flavanols, CocoPro, backed by 20 years of research. These powerful bioactive nutrients are clinically proven to promote cardiovascular health and improve cognitive function as you age. Get 15% off all Cocovia products from July 17th through July 31st using the discount code 
summerpod at cocovia.com. That's summer, P-O-D, summerpod at cocovia.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon. And I'm Joe Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is made possible in part by Cocovia Dietary Supplements. Cocoflavanols could help contribute to a strong heart and enhance cognitive function this summer. How can Cocovia be part of your supplemental routine to keep your brain and heart healthy? More information at cocovia.com. Today we're talking about summer skin solutions. Dr. Chris Adigan practices general dermatology and cosmetic dermatology at the Dermatology and Laser Center of Chapel Hill, North Carolina. On the phone lines, Dr. Warren Heyman is Emeritus Head of the Division of Dermatology at Cooper Medical School of Rowan University. He is Professor of Medicine and Pediatrics at Cooper Medical School and Clinical Professor of Dermatology at the Perlman School of Medicine of the University of Pennsylvania. Our lines are open for your skin questions at 919-962-3366. You can also send us email, radio at peoplespharmacy.com. That phone number again, 919-962-3366. And we have an email from Joy in Larson, Wisconsin. Joy says, I have just begun to react to sun exposure even though I use decent sunscreen. My arms and legs develop raised welts that are extremely itchy. Hydrocortisone gel helps a bit temporarily, but the next day the same thing will happen again. Suggestions, please. Dr. Adigan, what's going on? Well, there's an array of different types of UV-induced skin eruptions, but what hers sounds most like is something called polymorphous light eruption. Among dermatologists, we call it PMLE. Of course, because polymorphous light eruption is a mouthful. That's right. And this can be really, really frustrating for patients. And sadly, it's not something that tends to get better with time. What can you do so about it? So the solution is? Is cover up, honestly, and wearing clothing that's either tightly woven or is a UPF 50 um, graded sun protective garment so that they really know that their skin can be protected. Sometimes these patients need special tents on their car windows because a UVA radiation goes right through windows unhindered and can stimulate this eruption even through windows. Ooh, I'm, I'm having okay. a little challenge here understanding what you mean by a tent. So a tint. A tent. Oh, a tint. Yes, like oh, an additional okay. amount of UVA uh, protection attention. in the window. Okay. And, and Dr. Heyman, do you have any suggestions to add? Um, well, uh, I would I agree with uh, Chris here. Uh, there, she needs to be a little bit more uh, specific about when this happens. For example, if somebody's out in the sun just and, and you break out in a rash within a few minutes, that might be something called solar urticaria, which is hives, and it tends to go away in an hour or two. Polymorphous light eruption tends to occur hours to a couple of days later. So needs to be a little bit more specific uh, in her history because uh, they're treated differently. Okay. Huh. Sun protection for both, antihistamines for solar urticaria, 
topical story. Um, when you say okay, so so eruption. so so we actually have another email with a similar sounding situation. We heard from Kate. She said, I usually spend a few hours a week outside gardening. I went to the beach for the whole day last week and spent most of the time under a sail shade. But she also says that because she had this sail shade, which was rated an SPF 50, she, um, after her first dip in the sea, she didn't bother to reapply sunscreen. Shortly after returning home, I developed a rash on my chest and the following day, it came out on my upper back. And she wants to know how to prevent this in the future. Now, how can she tell the difference between PMLE and solar urticaria? Well, so- the solar urticaria comes out within minutes of sun exposure. So that's pretty easy. And that doesn't sound like that's the case. Um, there are several things that could have happened here. It could be polymorphous light eruption, as Chris had mentioned. It's possible she had an irritant uh, from the sunscreen. It's possible, and who knows where she's swimming, uh, there are rashes called sea bather's eruption or swimmer's itch, depending upon where she was. Um, and that's a possibility. Uh, that's due to different organisms and different uh, environments that can cause that type of rash. So I think she really needs to be looked at and assessed. Okay. okay, thank you. And obviously we can't diagnose over the radio, no. um, but we're making best guesses. And in this case, see a dermatologist, please. Thank you for your call. We have a call from Alan in Wilmington, North Carolina. Alan, welcome to the People's Pharmacy. Give us your question, please. Hi, my com- Hi, yes. Uh, my question is quite simple. Um, I do go in the sun um, maybe one or two days a week just for a few hours. But I've noticed that when I put moisturizer on my skin after sun exposure, I seem to get little bumps on my skin. Is there any relation with that in with the sun? What causes that? Dr. Adigan, little bumps? Well, the, you know, again, hard to diagnose over the radio, Alan, but it is possible that when you're kind of applying your sun, your moisturizer afterwards, maybe you're still a little bit warm, and that can lead to something called miliaria, which is essentially little plugs in your sweat glands, and they can make these little red bumps that sometimes can itch. Dr. Heyman, any thoughts? Uh, I agree with Chris 100%. I, I just do want to mention if we're talking about miliaria for a moment, which is prickly heat. Um, there are different types of milliaria, but we're in the middle still of this major heat wave around the country, and people have to be very careful with the heat. Uh, and um, if there's a tendency toward occluding it, you can break out with milliaria. And rarely, if it's so extensive, you can have difficulty sweating and can lead toward heat prostration. So we really have to be very careful this time of year, especially with the circumstances that the country is experiencing right now. For sure. Let's go to Linda in rural South Dakota. Linda, your question, please. I have um, had some eruptions on a hand with farmers, and these little bumps um, grow into a little mound and turn red in the center. We've tried treating them with a whole armamentarium with antibacterial 
disappointments and the bag bombs and the whatever, they don't seem to go away. So I'm just trying to interpret this for you, Dr. Adigan. It, it sounds like Linda and her husband, they're farmers, and they have these little nodules on their hands. It wants to know, are these related to the sun or something they're putting on their skin? This might be a fun one for Dr. Heyman and I. Um, when you think of little nodules on the hands of farmers, we're going to kind of shift gears and not think this is a UV exposure problem and more along the lines of the infectious disease realm. Um, Dr. Heyman, I'm thinking maybe a cowpox or something similar. Uh, how I, Well, again, more history is necessary Of course. Here. Uh, so... I, it, it, do these just go away? Or have they been there for months? And uh, Linda, can you it, tell? I, I, I really, um, because there are different possibilities. I was thinking a little differently. If they've been there a long, long, long time, and from sun exposure, you can get what are called colloid milia on the back of the hands. If these just showed up and they're crusted, uh, you know, it's an infectious possibility. I, I, I'm having difficulty understanding and certainly without seeing. Linda, can um, you give us a very quick update on how long this has been going on and a little bit more about what it looks like. Well, there, there's um, probably three millimeters. Uh, they come up over the joints and they um, the skin is tight over them. Um, They're red in the center and in both our cases, uh, it's been, it started with some um, pickle in the area, and then it felt like a splinter of some kind, but there's no apparent entry wound or opening. Um, there's a small um, amount of clear stuff that came out of my husband's when we cut one open because it was causing so much pressure and it hurt him. Um Okay. I think we're probably into the realm uh, of... This y- needs to actually see a dermatologist uh, you, you, rather than hear. Yes. I think a, a radio consult is not going to do it. Dr. Adigan, any other thoughts other than please go see a dermatologist? Um, no, I think that it's time. You guys have given it a whirl at home, and, and now it's time to... Get a little bit more data. All right. Linda, thanks for your call. Sorry we couldn't solve the problem. Shall we go to Tampa, Florida? Let's do. Joel, welcome to the People's Pharmacy. Hello. Thank you for the show. I listen to you every Saturday. Thank you. And uh, I uh, have psoriasis. I've had psoriasis for 65 years. I've had two experiences with uh, Puba treatments. And the uh, plaques uh, resolve in 10 or 12 sessions of Puva. Uh, but I, I really would like, and I, I'm keeping it under control. I have systemic itch, and that's a difficulty. But I'm keeping it under control with moisturizers, uh, and, uh, and I do go out in the sun. And I'm, uh, I'm tan, but I'm not... Uh, it isn't a problem for me. I don't burn. Um, Do you have a question, Joe? sun play in this disease? So what about the sun and psoriasis? Dr. Adigan, um, I, I seem to recall that people will actually go to the Dead Sea 
and soak up the salt water and get some sun exposure. Is there some benefit from sun when you have psoriasis? Well, yes, there is, in fact, that we do know that certain bands of light within the ultraviolet spectrum do suppress psoriasis. And um, Joel actually talked about his own experience with PUVA, which is an in-office treatment of UVA exposure that does improve psoriasis. More commonly, we use something called narrowband UVB to help control psoriasis. But for more limited cases, I may even tell my patients to go outside for five minutes and get a little bit of sun on those areas affected. Uh-huh. Doctor, so, Doctor actually, hey, do go out in the sun. Yes. Dr. Heyman, what about your thoughts regarding psoriasis and ultraviolet exposure? Well, it's, it's a, a cornerstone of, of treatment, phototherapy for psoriasis. And uh, like Dr. Adigan, I, I recommend it in the summer, natural light, which has UVB, UVA, very effective. But you should think of light in that circumstance as a medication. Uh, and you dose it. And uh-huh. so I'll advise 15 minutes. That's your time. The rest gets sunscreen for photoprotection. So if you dose it, that's the proper way to use it. And speaking of sunscreen, we have an email from Barbara. She says, for those of us who require protection from both sun and bugs, what is the best way to use these products at the same time? Does one or the other product affect the effectiveness? Uh, do, do they interact? Should one be applied before the other? What about reapplication of either one? Dr. Heyman, what about bug spray, insect repellent, and sunscreen? Can we use them together? Well, you should use them both, but not together. Uh, and I think there's clear data that they can be less effective if you do it that way. Uh, I don't know the exact time to put them on differently. Obviously, if you're going to, you have to look at the circumstances where you're at risk most to put that one on first, then I would wait, you know, a a couple of hours if possible. Um, If it's an immediate, uh, you're going to be out in, in the sun and with bugs at the same time, try to spread it out a little bit before you go. Uh, I would put the bug spray on first, wait a little bit of time, and then the sunscreen. But that's uh, try to spread it out if possible to get the maximal benefit. And Dr. Adigan? So I've actually been asked the same question not that long ago, um, and I understand Barbara's concern. I, this is when I will bring more clothing in, okay? So have them use more sun protective clothing because there are not many insects can bite through clothes. And then, of course, then you're getting that sun protection and you're not having to have this cocktail of chemicals on your skin. And so putting um, DEET or permethrin or your um, insect repellent of choice on the cuffs of your pants, on the cuffs of your shirts, and then just on the little bit of exposed body parts tends to be most effective at protecting both against sun exposure as well as against insect bites. 919-962-3366 is the number to call if you'd like to join the conversation. We also have email available, radio at peoplespharmacy.com. Terry, that phone number again, please. That phone number is 919-962-3366. Now, before we go back to the phones or take another email, we have to tell you what happened to us this past week. Terry was outside on the deck and... I was watering our plants and all of a sudden, ouch, 
it did sting me through my shirt. It was a wasp. I had not noticed that the wasps were starting to uh, build a nest uh, under the uh, umbrella over our deck table. And um, uh, it hurt. So we'd like to know what dermatologists do for wasp stings. And we'll tell you what we did. Well, (laughs) we're going to tell you right away. I immediately grabbed an onion. I cut it in half and I slapped it on, and then I cut another thin slice after I held it on for about, I don't know, a couple minutes, and I actually taped it down. And Terry said... It it took the pain away right away. It actually did immediately reduce the uh, pain significantly. Not completely, but very significantly. However, the next day... I looked over my shoulder at the mirror, and I could see that even though the pain was gone, the area of the sting was still very inflamed, bright red. About the size uh, of a half dollar. Bigger than that the next day. Next day. Yeah. And so the bottom line seems to be that it can take away the pain, but not necessarily... The inflammation, perhaps. Exactly. Now, we heard about this from a Dr. Block. Wasn't that his name? No, we checked with Dr. Block, Block. yes, who said, yes, onions do have enzymes in them that can uh, uh, help degrade the venom in, we were talking about bee stings at that at that point, which may be different from wasp stings. Now, he was a world-class chemist and had studied onion chemistry for quite some time. Have you ever heard of that in the 30 seconds we have left before the break? I am not familiar with the onion technique. (laughs) Oh, you should try it if you have to. But then d- dermatologists have something else to do about wasp things. What do you do? So I actually had a child visiting us from out of town just last week. And so it's always the stakes are higher with someone else's kid. And she got stung and I immediately applied ice because I want to decrease blood flow to the area to decrease her potential immunologic reaction, which is what sounds like you had on your back. Um, and then I use a potent topical steroid. <laughs> okay. And did that do the job? It was gone. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we're glad to hear that you uh, have a an official strategy that works. But uh, for us in that moment, the onions seem to take away the pain. And you know, when you get a wasping, it really hurts. Yeah, it did. It hurt. But and and the and the onion absolutely worked to take to take the pain way down. Well, we are going to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about summer foot problems like athlete's foot, and maybe even dare I say it, toenail fungus. And what about blisters? Can they be prevented? Oh, what's the best treatment? Our lines are open. If you'd like to join our conversation, nine one nine nine six two. 3366, email us, radio at peoplespharmacy.com. You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. This podcast is made possible in part by Gaia Herbs. For more than 30 years, Gaia Herbs has nurtured the connection between people and plants, to deliver nature's vitality. Their full-spectrum formulas are designed to provide an herb's complete array of beneficial compounds with nothing artificial to get in the way. Learn more at GaiaHerbs.com. That's G-A-I-A Herbs. 
com. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is made possible in part by Cocovia Dietary Supplements. Cocoflavanols could help contribute to a strong heart and enhance cognitive function this summer. How can Cocovia be a part of your supplement routine to keep your brain and heart healthy? More information at cocovia.com. Today we're talking about solutions for your summer skin problems. Dr. Warren Heyman is on the phone. He is Emeritus Head of the Division of Dermatology at Cooper Medical School of Rowan University. He's Professor of Medicine and Pediatrics at Cooper Medical School and Clinical Professor of Dermatology at the Perelman School of Medicine of the University of Pennsylvania. Dr. Chris Adigan, here in our studio, practices general dermatology and cosmetic dermatology at the Dermatology and Laser Center of Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And we invite you to join the conversation. You can call us at 919-962-3366. If our phones are fully occupied, which they are at the moment, you can email us, radio at peoplespharmacy.com. And before we move on to feet, let's take a call from Cleo in Hardyville, South Carolina. Cleo, your question, please. Hi, um, I take doxycycline, um, which is, of course, a photosensitive drug. Um, instead of using sunscreen on my whole body, I use UPF 50 clothing, um, hat, shirt, pants. I use also some polyester clothing to protect myself. Um, when I have sun-exposed areas, then I'll put sunscreen on. So I wanted some advice on that. How good are the UPF 50 clothing? Dr. Heyman? They're good. <laughs> I'm glad you're doing that. Not everybody who takes doxycycline is going to have a photosensitive eruption. Uh, but you have to be uh, wary of it and careful of it and try to uh, minimize your sun exposure as, as you're doing. Um, if you need the drug, you need the drug. You need to be careful. But be aware uh, your skin starts getting a little tender or red. Uh, to make sure you're not continuing that sun exposure. I'll have another question about doxycycline in just a moment, Dr. Heyman. But first, I have a question uh, for Dr. Adigan. Dr. Adigan, the idea that there are medications that sensitize the skin to the sun's rays, it, it comes as a surprise to some people. I mean, for one thing, they may get a blood pressure pill in December or January, and nobody's thinking about the sun when it's cold out. But then along comes July, August, and maybe they go outside and they get a really bad burn. And I'm thinking hydrochlorothiazide is just one example. Tens of millions of people take HCT or HCTZ. What's happening? So with regards to medications that cause these photosensitive eruptions or just photosensitivity in general, they are the majority are what are called phototoxic reaction it, reactions, and less common are the photoallergic reactions. But phototoxic reactions are by far and away more common, which means they will happen in just about any person with the right dose of medication and the right dose of UV exposure. Um, hydrochlorothiazide has been in the news 
recently, not just because of the photosensitivity that it induces in patients, but for this um, observed increased risk of a certain type of skin cancer known as squamous cell carcinoma. And people should just be a little extra careful and maybe go see their dermatologist a little more frequently if they've been on a photosensitizing drug like hydrochlorothiazide for decades, especially if their skin has a little funny thing, like what it looks like. So how would somebody know that they're getting into trouble? What would a squamous cell or some kind of skin cancer look like? That's a great question. And I actually say this with every one of my skin exams every day of my life. And that we are all taking care of our skin, right? So you, when you're, there's a period of time between your skin cancer screenings, and what you're looking for is something that can look as asinine as a pimple or something that bleeds very easily, just toweling off after the shower and does not go away in a month. Our skin tends to heal in a month. So you have something that looks maybe not all that suspicious to you, but it stays and does not heal okay. or go away. Um, within a finite period of time, then it's time to have that evaluated. So a pimple would clear up in a, a week or two at least, right? Exactly. And if it's still there after a month, it needs to be seen. That is right. Now, I do want to ask a very quick question of you, Dr. Heyman, and it has to do with doxycycline. Everybody's worried about tick bites these days. You know, we, we hear an awful lot about Lyme disease, but there are all kinds of other tick-borne illnesses and uh, we've been hearing a bit about people getting what they call prophylactic doxy. So they, they discover a tick. The tick has um, been there maybe for a day. They didn't see it when they went to bed. And now they're worried that they might come down with Lyme. And some doctors are actually prescribing doxy even though they haven't had any symptoms. Have you ever heard of that? And what do you think? Well, if you've had uh, a tick bite uh, and the tick uh, has been on attached for under 72 hours, you can take a prophylactic dose of doxycycline to prevent Lyme. Uh, it's 200 milligrams. Um, the problem is, and we have people around here, uh, you might as well put doxycycline in the water. I mean, you're getting bitten by ticks every day. Uh, so if you're worried, it, it can be done. Uh, prophylactically. I'm not sure it should be done in every tick bite. Certainly, if you get the tick out quickly, it's uh, within 24 hours. It's, it's really not a concern. A tick has to be there uh, for longer than 36, to, I believe 36 to 48 hours, um, or even 72 hours before there's a real concern. So uh, if you were bitten by a tick and you're able to remove the tick, it's really not an issue. That doesn't mean you shouldn't be vigilant for the signs of Lyme disease. Uh, the rash, joint pains, fever, etc., and um, and of course you treat it if there are symptoms. And now, Blood doctor, tests are, are not. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Uh, no, I interrupted you. I was going to ask you about how to remove a tick. Is there a proper procedure? There are different procedures. Uh, the one we use in the office are these little. Uh, instruments are L-shaped with two prongs and put it right under the tick and twist it. And it works rather, rather well. Um, that's our approach to removing them in the office. Great. Thanks. We're going to go to Fort Worth, Texas. Terry, who's next? Pilar. Pilar, tell us about your solution for bites or stings. Well, um, hi. To prevent 
mosquitoes or ticks, you know, when I go hiking, because I do hike a lot. I put Vicks VapoRub. Uh-huh. You know, um, it, it just works. Uh, I've done an experiment just sitting in my patio because, uh, you know, um, with or without, first without, without, and all mosquitoes are just all over me. But as soon as I apply Vicks VapoRub, they don't come near me at all. And I think it's a mental atom that they don't like the smell. And uh, so, and also when I get stung or bitten by, um, let's say, uh, a wasp or something, you know, I always carry with me a bottle, uh, a little bottle of um, um, baking soda. So um, as when I get stung, I wet that. If I, if I, of course, I have water with me. If not, you spit on it and make a paste uh-huh. and apply it on the sting, and lo and behold, it goes away. I've done it to my mother when she got stung by bee or something, and it, oh boy, it swells. But as soon as you put the Vicks vapor up, I mean the uh, baking soda paste, it just goes away, the itch and everything. And I've done it also for my gardener. He got stung by the wasp, and uh, and he was really surprised to see that, hey, this thing works. So that's my solution, and um, I hope and it's non-toxic, especially for children. You know, when you're, you're out there, I mean, baking soda is definitely not, not toxic. Yeah. Pilar, thanks so much for sharing that home remedy. You know, we have heard so many uses for Vicks VapoRub. It's kind of astonishing. Um, sometimes when horses get a little excited. Uh, they put a little bit of Vicks. The vapor. horses don't, but the trainers are said to. We've never seen this done, but we've heard that uh, Vicks VapoRub will distract the stallion from the smell of a, a female horse. And so, well, actually, it'll probably distract almost anybody if you put Vicks VapoRub under your nose. But that that brings me to nail fungus. We promised we'd say a word or two about that. Um, There was actually a little teeny tiny study that suggested that if you applied Vicks VapoRub to your nails, that if you were patient enough you might be able to get rid of nail fungus. Now, I know that's not an official dermatological approach, but Dr. Adigan, what are you doing about nail fungus these days? Well, I can tell you that we don't use Vicks VapoRub as like a prescribed treatment <laughs> just because we have other options that are proven to be more effective. I can say that Vicks won't harm my patients, but I don't want them to think it's going to cure their toenail fungus either. Um, depending on the severity of the disease, duration of the disease, that typically guides our treatment algorithm. And what would be your favorite treatments these days? Because in the summer, people like to wear sandals or go barefoot, and if they've got nail fungus, it looks kind of yucky. Yes, the social factors of toenail fungus far supersede just about every other symptom of the disease, because otherwise it is painless. Um, Again, it does kind of depend on the severity of the disease, but it's sad. If they do come in May or June, even with the best treatment for their particular case, they're not going to see results until the, the holidays. Following, until maybe the following yeah. May or June. That's correct. Right. It takes now, 12 to 18 months to regrow a toenail. Yeah. And what would you recommend? What is your number one choice? 
Well, in many cases, I do use systemic agents um, just because... Meaning oral medicine. Oral medications, mm -hmm, because they have the best data for clearance. Um, not everyone is eligible um, because they may be on medications that may interact with the systemic agent that I'm choosing for them. And in those cases, we do turn to topical agents that have much lower clearance rates, but they are better than Vicks VapoRub. And Dr. Heyman... A quick question about bacteria as well as fungus. We stumbled across a study not too long ago where they actually did some sort of DNA analysis of so-called nail fungus, and they found that a lot of people were actually also suffering from a bacterial infection. We've heard from a lot of our readers that a simple over-the-counter treatment, Neosporin, has actually been surprisingly effective for some cases of quote-unquote nail fungus. I'm guessing Neosporin doesn't do anything for fungi, but it might work against bacteria. Your thoughts about bacteria as well as fungal infections? Um, well, firstly, fungal infections are usually due to what are called dermatophytes, but there can also be molds in there that that alter the appearance and, and, and bacteria as well. Usual bacteria causing discoloration in the nail are uh, what are called gram-negative organisms like Pseudomonas. So even something as simple as taking a little vinegar and water soaks uh, can help leach out that pigment. Um, so it, it, there could be mixed infections. It can happen. But it's not going to be a dramatic cure, unfortunately. Well... But we appreciate the idea that vinegar and water soaks might be helpful in some cases. That's something we do hear from uh, our listeners from time to time. James in Endicott, New York, your question, please. Yes. I was concerned primarily, I, I rarely use sunscreen, but with an allergy to bee stings and other insects, spiders, I tend to use a lot of bug spray. Now, over time, the excessive use of bug spray, especially in the summer, um, does that cause more damage? Does, am I absorbing that into my system with the possibility of long-term effects of that? Well, let's let our dermatologists respond. Dr. Adigan. That's a good question. Um, bug sprays... We know, like, depending on their active agents, they only have a, they have a limited duration. Like DEET, for example, is about five hours. And then there's other agents that do have longer-lasting effects, but then you do have to kind of balance that with systemic absorption and safety. Um, I would say, in your situation where you are out a lot with these severe allergies that can be very serious, to rotate your active agent. So... Use DEET one day, then potentially picaridin the next day, then potentially citronella the next day, and just kind of rotate your agents so that way you're decreasing your overall exposure. But those are all agents that have data to protect you against insects. Now, I have to tell you, I'm one of those people who are super sensitive to chiggers. I get a chigger bite, and it turns into a major disaster within a couple of days. The thing that saves me every time is a prescribed medication called clobetasol, Temavate, my favorite drug. If I get this corticosteroid, very powerful one, right on that sugar bite immediately, as soon as it turns red, I don't develop a problem. Is that okay? That is fantastic home care. You just needed to have the right agent, and clobetazole is a prescription, so you'll need to get that from your physician. Absolutely. 
But that is um, our extremely effective topical steroid that stops the immune response that you're describing that you get from chiggers. And we just put on a tiny bit because clobetazole is powerful. You don't want to overuse it. Uh, we have uh, a we have a couple of emails about rosacea, and I'm going to read this one. Um, this person has had rosacea for about 10 years. When it's warm and I do anything strenuous outside, my entire face turns bright red. Is this rosacea or something else? Is there a danger of this increasing my rosacea overall? That's what Caroline wants to know. Is there a problem with heat and rosacea? Dr. Adigan. So there are a number of different triggers for rosacea. It sounds like heat does cause her to um, have that vasodilatory effect and that kind of flushing effect, and it can feel uncomfortable, and she obviously can be um, maybe embarrassed by the appearance. And identifying those triggers is important for patients with rosacea, and there's different things that we can do to manage the disease in the face of those triggers. Quickly, one thing. Um, I think that vascular lasers tend to do the best job of decreasing the severity of these flares and increasing the time between the flares. And one last question, and we only have 30 seconds left, blisters. If we're going out and hiking, what can we do to prevent blisters? Well, blisters happen in areas of rubbing. Um, So if there is an area on your foot, I'm assuming foot or ankle, that is continuing to get rubbed, you will want to provide a barrier on it before the blister even forms. Like that's the best way to kind of... And the barrier would be? I mean, it can be a Band-Aid. Okay. Don't get excited. Just do something. Well, that's all the time we have today. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you for sharing your stories. And thanks to Dr. Chris Adigan. That's A-D-I-G-U-N of the Dermatology and Laser Center of Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Dr. Adigan has an academic specialty in nail disorders. Thanks also to Dr. Warren Heyman, Emeritus Head of the Division of Dermatology at Cooper Medical School of Rowan University, after 35 years at the helm. He is Professor of Medicine and Pediatrics at Cooper Medical School, Clinical Professor of Dermatology at the Perlman School of Medicine of the University of Pennsylvania, and he serves as a director of the American Board of Dermatology. Dr. Heyman is the editor of DermWorld Insights and Inquiries. The People's Pharmacy is a co-production of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC, with The People's Pharmacy. Lynn Siegel produced today's show. Pamela Alberta provided technical assistance. Al Wadarski engineered. The People's Pharmacy theme music is by B.J. Lederman. The People's Pharmacy is made possible in part by Cocovia Dietary Supplements. Cocoflavanols could help contribute to a strong heart and enhance cognitive function this summer. How can Cocovia be a part of your supplement routine to keep your brain and heart healthy? More information at Cocovia.com. Today's show is number 1,349. You can find it online at peoplespharmacy.com. You could subscribe to our podcast through your favorite podcast provider. We post the show on our website on Monday morning. And if you go to peoplespharmacy.com, you can sign up for our free online newsletter. It's an easy way to stay on top of breaking health news. By subscribing to the newsletter, you'll also have regular access to our weekly podcast. In Durham, North Carolina, I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Thanks for listening. Please join us next week.
Thank you for listening to the People's Pharmacy Podcast. It's an honor and a pleasure to bring you our award-winning program week in and week out. But producing and distributing this show as a free podcast takes time and costs money. If you like what we do and you'd like to help us continue to produce high-quality, independent healthcare journalism, please consider chipping in. All you have to do is go to peoplespharmacy.com slash donate. Whether it's just one time or a monthly donation, you can be part of the team that makes this show possible. Thank you for your continued loyalty and support. We couldn't make our show without you.